The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Hello, everyone. Oh, okay. This will be a fun day. All right. Uh, for those of you who don't know, my name is Kyle. I'm lead pastor here at the church. This is Rosie, our women's uh, director here at our church, uh, doing a great job of trying to help uh, cultivate discipleship uh, specifically for, for our women. Um, so we are going to kick off uh, just some questions today. So if you're new, this is a little bit different uh, sort of format. We've sort of done this over the last couple of weeks, uh, just while we're having kids in and trying to do some things slightly different. Um, so yeah, like... Uh, Luke said we're going to be in 2 Timothy, so Pastor Jimmy's actually preaching for us next week. He's going to be coming down from Calandra, so he'll be opening up 2 Timothy for us, uh, which is going to be really, really uh, exciting. So basically the crew down the back, they're just making up questions as they go. So they're going to throw questions up on the screen for us. We're going to answer them one by one. What I will say is we're going to try and get through as many of these as we can, but we don't, like not everyone wants us to be here for an hour and a half. So if we don't get to your question and you really would like that answer, please DM us throughout the week and I'll try and get back to you as soon as I can. Um, it'll probably be something along the line, turn your eyes to Jesus, look forth. No, it won't be. Uh, we'll, we'll try and answer those as much as we can, but obviously we're not going to probably be able to answer everything. Um, so, is that cool? And Rosie's going to try and not mention the women's event at the end of every question. That's her goal for the, mm, the All right. So why don't we go team? Why don't we flick up question number one? Uh, all right, what encouragement, advice can you give to people whose adult children are not Christians? Uh, let's start with you, Rosie. Thank you. I actually thought there'd be more people on the panel, so no pressure to um, have <laughs> lots of wisdom. Um, okay, so I have an adult son. Those of you who were here for the parenting panel, you, you know, I obviously spoke quite a, li- a lot around that. Um, but I would say... Uh, in journeying as a as a parent of an adult, Mitch has walked through seasons where he has possibly walked away from the Lord, spoken about it, and journeyed a lot around, um, is God even true? So I have had a taste of that. Um, and so what I would say to you, and actually this is around parenting in general of adults, I have this conversation semi-regularly with people I work with who are raising or who have raised children and they're now adults. Um, This season is a really hard one. We shared about it being a season of the heart. So what you have to learn to do is be quiet. Listen. um, Serve. And live out all of those things that you have shared with your kids when they were little growing up about the gospel, about Jesus, about church, about loving your neighbour, about being kind, all of those things that you've tried to raise in your children, what you have to do as the parent of an adult is actually do that, show that, take a step back, serve them, serve their partners, their spouses, their families. Um, It's a really, really hard season. Mm. I get it, man. Like I feel like I have walked some of that for the last 10 years. Um, yeah, it's a time when you learn to be the bigger person, to be the one that takes the hit, the one that um, is just there. So that's been a lot. That's a that's hard, and it's really hard. But um, and it's been a long season of learning how to do that better and better. And then when they have a, a spouse who may or may not be a Christian, that's a whole new ball game. So yeah, 
It's patience, it's time, it's prayer. It's about understanding what the gospel is, what that looks like on the ground, and then living that out with, with your, mm. your adult child. So zip, mm. pray. Mm. Yeah, and I'd always say, it's just remember that the Bible says multiple times that salvation belongs to the Lord. So my kids are currently Christian, um, just because they're young, right? Um, so I could currently feel confident that they're Christians because they're young and impressionable. Um, but I still, even at their age, need to put my faith and trust in God to save, not me to, to save. And I can't force my kids to be Christians, but I can trust that God is a good God who saves. Um, and so, yeah, and that's a hard one to kind of keep, you know, I think no matter what age your kids are, is constantly trusting God all the way through. Uh, I know a friend who prayed for 20 years every single day for their mum to become a Christian, not, not their kids, but for 20 years, prayed and prayed and prayed. One day their mum became a Christian and it was a really, really cool day. So don't, don't quit, don't give up, keep praying, keep trusting. And it's a long season and the Lord is doing a lot in you mm. just as much as they are in the other. Yep. All right, what we got next? None? We're done? Next question? <laughs> Can God create a rock so heavy that even he can't lift it? I've got it. Do you want me to read it? Oh, you can read it, yep. I'm prepared. Uh, question two is, what encouragement or advice can you give to couples who don't have children or, or who will never have children? There are many cliches and piece of, pieces of advice for these people, especially in church world. How, how does a series like this encourage and help them? Want me to answer? This was my question that I text um, because I was hoping someone's going to answer it for me. Uh, so here I am answering my own question. Awesome. Um, um, I think sitting on that panel the other day and looking out when we were speaking, that was really on my heart and also about, you know, being a parent of an adult who's no Christian. So I was thinking about that the whole time and we didn't have time to talk about it. So, look... Uh, we have, probably many of us have journeyed with people who are in this boat, um, and uh, I think being, uh, uh, finding people who are a listening ear and who can be on your team and that you can continue to reach out to and spend time with and have them encourage you, so having a team of people I think is super helpful. I think, um, and I've written this, I've thought about this for many of the questions, what I think church world should more and more be about is um, developing this notion of what a family is. So a family encompasses many, many different shades, right? We don't all have two, like a couple that are married with kids. It's not what we all look like. There are people from different cultures and different, you know, seasons of life. And so it's understanding that we are a family and what does a family look like? So your encouragement doesn't just come from here. It comes from all the stuff that happens outside of the Sunday, so your life groups and your catch-ups and your women's ministry and your men's ministry. So I think that would be part of what I would... How good was my answer to my... No, it wasn't. That's good. Um, yeah, I wasn't expecting to answer it. Yeah, and I would say, uh, sort of backing off on that, like this church is supposed to be one family. So whether you're single, whether you're in a relationship without children, um, whether you've got a tribe of children... 
we're supposed to sort of, everyone's supposed to be able to come in and experience some sense of family that we don't get in our particular context. So there are, there are so many things that no matter where you're at, you can contribute. And often what we do in church world is we esteem the, the sort of mum, dad, couple of kids family and go, that's what it's supposed to look like and they're really holy and awesome and us over here who can't have kids and are struggling, we're not so awesome. It's like, no, 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 we're one big family. And as a church, we need to support each other in those times. So I think something I'm learning to do, uh, particularly walking with Gareth and Haley uh, over the years when, when they were struggling to have a child, was just to be more sensitive to what they're going through, but then also to include them. So part of the struggle that I had was I didn't want to always invite them over because I felt bad because then they would see our four kids and they're like, no, 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 include us, help us to be a part of that family because at the moment we're not able to have a family. Um, yeah, so I think finding ways to do that with one another is really helpful. And I think, so there's, there, yeah, what you said, there is that, that ideal that the church pushes out and I think having walked through different seasons of life that doesn't look like that ideal sometimes it's flipping hard mm. you know because you feel on the outer now the gospel continues to draw you in and church draws you in but you can feel that so I get it I, I understand that it's not always an easy thing to kind of come when you don't sit in that mold yeah all right next question uh, last week, a fair bit of time was spent discussing how the husband is to love the wife. Specific examples were given, which were helpful. Could you expand how a wife respects her husband and give some further examples, please? Well, my wife's not here today, so it's very easy for me to do this. <laughs> um, what I would say is I think it's different for every, every relationship. Um, how that looks from one man to another man, or even how a woman feels loved from one wife to another wife is different. Um, I always say I think... Um, the, the, probably the, the best six words you can say are thank you, sorry, I love you. But the best two questions you can ask is how are you doing and how am I doing for you? So I encourage couples that go out on date night, always ask those two questions. How are you doing? How are you really doing? And then the next question is how am I doing for you? Because how, say, Carly feels loved is different from how another wife would feel loved. So I need to work out. And how I feel sort of a sense of respect from Carly is different from how another man. So it's really important that you, that you ask the question and give, give each other the permission to actually go, what does it look like? What makes you feel respected or vice versa? What makes you feel disrespected? So a big one for me was uh, Carly's very, very task-orientated. So when I would come home from work in a busy day, she would often be in task mode and I'd get the, like the recognition about 14 hours later when we wake up the next morning is like, there you are, hi. And so I used to say to her, hey, when I come home, I would love just an acknowledgement of hello, how are you, how was your day? That means the world to me. And then from there, like, let's get on and do whatever's going to be done for the night to you know, survive and get, get the kids to bed and dinner or whatever. That was a huge thing. Um, for, for different husbands, it's, it's different. That for me made me feel, I guess, validated and she was thinking of me when I walk through the door, rather than doing this and doing this task. So she's had to work hard to kind of go, oh, that means a lot to him, to have a, hey, how was your day, honey, blah, blah, blah. You know, as we talked last week, we're not super affectionate, but if she gives me a little, like, hug or something, it's like, wow, this is awesome. I feel wonderful, and I feel on top of the world. Um, so words of affirmation are really great. Um, Carly telling me, not that I suck, uh, but 
finding specific things to kind of go, I love it when you do. I love it how you fill in the blank. Those things for me have been massive for me. It's like, oh, you actually love how I do that? Well, well, all right. I do a whole lot more of whatever that is. I do that thing better. And then all of a sudden you kind of like, you feel, as a man, I think this is me speaking for men, I feel validated. I feel like she thinks I'm a good, godly man. And if she can speak into that, mate, I, I want to live up to, to that. Um. Um, I didn't think I'd be able to add anything, but what I, what I do want to add is that I've sat across from many, 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 many wives over the years um, and often the thing that they want to talk about is their husband and the journey that's happening currently. And so in those many conversations, one of the big themes that emerge is to stop, like if there's conflict and, and there's, it's a difficult season, is to just stop a lot of the, the wanting and saying and, and I'm going to say, what's a, like whinging and whining, and to um, begin to pray for... I know that's a Captain Obvious, right? Mm. But I, for, that's many years of conversations is just to stop and to pray for their husband. And they know that. And so um, just walking that journey with them, that's been just like this really... <laughs> I know it's kept... Is that an obvious statement? But that's what kind of what a lot of those conversations have landed on over the years. Great. Next one. What does it practically mean for a husband to sacrifice himself for his wife as Christ sacrificed himself? Does it mean he does all the housework to make her life as comfortable as possible? Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, my brother Barney down the front is saying the answer to that question is no. Um, so we kind of hit on this uh, a fair bit last week, so I'd encourage whoever wrote that, maybe go and listen to the podcast. Um, again, the answer is it depends on the, your context. So um, again, for, for our context and, and my wife and our family, it really helps Carly to feel loved by me helping out at home with the practical things. So she's been away this weekend. She's having a girls weekend. Um, we got a text on the way here what time she's going to be home. I'm really upset because she's going to come home. We haven't cleaned yet. Um, so it's going to be like, oh, no. Uh, but for us, my wife works part-time as well. So she's not, you know, primarily she's still at home, but she still works as well. Um, and so we try to share that load. But I think every woman feels different about what they need. And so how a husband lays down his life for his wife can be different. Um, sometimes the way that I've had to do that with Carly is actually bring strong words to say, hey, we, we can't go this way because God is calling us to live this way. So how, how you know, and that's scary. I've got I to gotta put my, my life on the line. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to have a hard, hard word here. Sometimes that's kind of what me actually laying my life down because what I want to do is self-protect because happy wife, happy life. And I, sometimes I've got to have difficult conversations. How I have them matters, when I have them matters. Um, but there's that as well, I think. Sometimes it's saying, hey, listen, as for, as for us and our household, we're following Jesus, and this is what it means to follow Jesus. We're not there yet, but this is where we're going. Um, yeah, and for Carly, uh, vacuuming, I've been doing the dishes pretty much all our marriage, that sort of stuff. That's what makes her feel loved. So when I can do that stuff and help her around the house, she's a very task-orientated person, so tasks mean a lot. Giving her flowers, don't do that. I've, I've learned that. Giving her chocolates, don't do that. She doesn't need them. Um, she likes work done around the house. But that's my wife. 
somebody else's wife might love flowers. And so the sacrificing of oneself might be thinking ahead like you do other things and going, actually, I'm going to think about what she needs and what she would need today would be flowers and chocolates and, you know. So every, I think every, again, every relationship is different. So ask. Next one. Rosie, you got any more questions that you wrote, mate? You, this you can, is a question can, that I wrote, wrote that you're going to answer you first. Can, <clears throat> so the question is, what advice would you give for someone married to a non-Christian or a nominal Christian that is uninterested in serving at church, participating in a life group, etc.? What does submission look like here? How does the Christian honour God while the other half is not a believer? Great. Kylan. Yeah, really tough. We've, we've had a number of, of uh, people be married to a non-Christian spouse and have tried to navigate what that kind of looks like. Um, there's a few verses in the Bible that I think are helpful. Um, 1 Peter 3 uh, speaks about, it says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, so even if they're not a Christian or they're an immature Christian, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So there, there is a sense in which... Um, you can, through the way that you treat your spouse, and I think this can go both ways, it's not just the, the wife to the husband, but also the, the husband to the wife is sometimes the case. Um, you're not always going to win them with words, but it's really, really hard for someone to see amazing transformation happen and not ask questions as to like what is going on in your heart. And if you hear stories of couples where one was saved first and then the next one sort of come along the way, more than often it is the fact that that particular person who became a Christian first started to really change. And they're like, whatever that is, I want in on that. So I would just encourage you, if you have a non-Christian spouse, if it, if it is, uh, if, if you're a, a female and you've got a husband who's a non-Christian, find ways that through your conduct, he feels that you are something that you were not before you were a Christian. And as he sees that grow and grow and grow, there's more chance that he will be open to Christianity. Um, I would say you have to be careful, um, depending on the spouse. Like, I, I know this is difficult sometimes because we've had people have gone like, I can't come to church because he's not a Christian. I can't come to life group because he's not a Christian. I can't give financially because he's not a Christian. And all of a sudden, there's this sense in which now you're disobeying God because your husband's not a Christian and there's a tension there that you have to walk with wisdom um, that's hard and so some husbands are like you do you you go to the church thing they're totally fine other husbands are like mate that's that's Sunday that's our day and so what I would say is don't just rush off to do all the, the God stuff and the church stuff pray seek wisdom ask for counsel and then somewhere in there you've got to you've got to kind of discern I think within your own conscience as to what is being faithful and obedient to the Lord not just trying to do whatever he says. And I think that's a really difficult line to walk. So you need others that are with you in that, that can help you journey with that. Um, someone who was very close to me was like this, and eventually they're not a Christian now. And I think they went too far. And I was encouraging them, hey, listen, you can, you can, you can kind of go, cool, I'm not going to do that, but I need to do this because that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I am going to read my Bible. I am going to pray. I'll try and do it in a way which doesn't offend you, but I have to be a Christian. Um, and that, that can be hard. So I think, yeah, I don't know, there's some, there's some lines there. Um, 
I don't think this is a promise to say that if you live well, that your spouse will become a Christian. Uh, but the emphasis is let the gospel transform you and create space for your conduct to then create opportunities for you to share the reason for the hope that is in you, uh, which is what Peter goes on to sort of say in chapter 2. Um, hard. Get community with you if you're in that situation. Have people around you who can encourage you because there can be tough days where you get frustrated and you want them, you know. I mean, my wife gets frustrated and I'm a Christian guy who loves to read his Bible and pray. Right? So if Christians have frustrating days, so much more when there's that difference between a, a spouse there. Um, anything else you want to add to that? Get an, if you can, make Life Group one, one of the church events a priority to come to. Uh, what advice would you give to someone in an abusive marriage? How do you support them if they uh, choose to stay in that marriage for a range of different reasons? Do you want me to? Yeah, you can go on that. Um, so before I say anything, I just want to um, say that I understand that there are a whole range of um, situations around this particular question. There are a whole range of experiences and there's a whole um, kind of spectrum of abuse that happens. I can only speak from my own experience. I can't speak into all of your experiences. So I may say something that you disagree with or that you haven't found to be the case. So I just want to preface it with that. Um, so I came out of an abusive, wasn't a marriage, but um, partnership uh, many, many, many years ago. So I, can, I do have a little bit of experience um, speaking around this. Again, abuse takes many different shades. Um, so what I would say to you is this. If you are um, supporting someone or you're involved with someone who is in an abusive relationship, um, hats off to you guys. And um, like I fully understand what it is to walk with people when they're going through that. It is a roller coaster and it's heartbreaking. So I totally understand that. I totally understand how hard it is to continue to support when you feel like you keep getting slapped in the face by the abuse victim. So I completely understand that. What I wanna say is from my own personal experience um, that the way, so we kind of are more educated now around what abuse is and how that kind of affects a person and why they behave the way that they do. So what you'll find is that they will often leave and go back, leave and go back. Mm. So if you're journeying with someone that's doing that, particularly when they say, this is it, I'm out, I'm going to do it, and then they go back, it's soul crushing if you're trying to support them in that. Mm. So I completely understand that. I just want to talk about the person in the situation. So um, they... If you can imagine many years of that happening, what that does to a person, and so for them to actually leave, that may never happen. It might, but it may never happen, that's the reality. So to stick in with someone who's going through that requires a lot of support, strength, and grace. You know, it's, it's, it's very, very difficult. Um, so what I wanna say to you is that you need a team of people to help you but one way that someone can eventually leave is if you can 
um, uh, allow them to just do this and just keep loving them. Just keep loving them. Extend that gracious hand. Now, I say that with a grain of salt because I know how hard that is to do, Mm. right? But if that person in that situation is not only coping with what's going on around them, but also trying to leave, also thinking in their head, how the heck do I set up a life for myself? I'm 43 years old. I don't have the money, I don't have the job, I don't have the stuff, I don't ha- what's my life going to be? And on top of that, they love their partner. Mm. So not only are they trying to do that, they now have to try and deal with everybody's expectations of them to come out of that situation. It's not good for you. And they're also trying to deal with that. So I would say to you that one way that you can equip them and enable them is to graciously love them and stand with them, no matter where they're standing, whether they're half in, half out, gone back again, not talking to you, stand with them. And if you can not have any expectations on them. Now, I just want to say again, I understand how hard that is to do. I totally get it. But if you can do that, at some point that's going to in some cases, cases enable them to leave, mm. knowing that you, are, you um, unconditionally accept them no matter where they're at. Because, yeah, they're, they're a victim of many years sometimes, and sometimes it can be very subtle abuse that they're not even fully aware of. Mm. So I hope that makes a little bit of sense. So what was the question? <laughs> I wrote this question. Yeah, so that's kind of what question support. again that you're answering Yeah, again. I just, <laughs> just banged off a whole lot of questions, you know, like kind of more answer these and then I suddenly realised, oh, you're going to be sitting here probably answering some. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's it. Also, I'd, I'd probably say, so pastorally, my approach as a pastor is uh, I kind of have these two categories. There is responsible for, responsible to. I think they're really, really important categories to have. So... For example, I'm currently responsible for my children, but at some point that's going to change. Where I'm no longer responsible for their lives, they are now responsible for their lives, and it switches to now I'm responsible to them, still as their father, but that's a different dynamic. So for me, when I am dealing with with abuse victims, I, I have to make a distinction that I'm not responsible for this person, I'm responsible to them. So when they go back that doesn't have the same sting and the hurt that it did when I used to feel responsible for them. Because I felt like I had to be the one that always rescued them. So what I've tried to do is kind of go, okay, what is my responsibility to them as a pastor? And a big part of that is actually trying to get them to somebody else who's a professional therapist, who can actually say certain things, speak in certain ways, understand dynamics, and say something that maybe can be heard that won't be heard from me. And so trying to sort of, you know, escalates a word often that's being used, kind of escalate. So I try to just slowly drop hints of getting somebody to a point where they can go and see someone and get, get some help in here. Um, it, again, it probably depends on the nature of the abuse. Uh, we have a couple of times explicitly said, you're in danger, your children are in danger, we need to get you out. And we have done that. And we have sort of tried to help that happen. Very traumatic, very, very difficult. But we felt that they this particular lady and the children, were at great risk. So we said, we're just going to go in and, and do this, this thing in that particular stage. It was, it was quite full on. Uh, but more often than not, we, 
we wouldn't do that. We would try to just walk with them and journey with them. Um, the biggest thing for me is we're not a counseling center or a counseling organization, but we are a discipleship organization. So one thing we can do is strengthen their faith to get strength from God to do the thing they need to do in the future. So if you can be speaking faith and hope and love and getting them into their Bible and getting them to pray and do some of the discipleship stuff, the Spirit of God is way more powerful than we are. His words penetrate far deeper and can do things. So I would encourage you that way if you're supporting someone, maybe instead of trying to be that saviour or whatever, come along and try and be that Christian brother or sister who's going to help disciple them. Let Jesus be the saviour and try to give them little points where they can get to a professional psychologist or counsel or someone who can maybe help them with some of those things and identify things even that you're trying to, to show them that they can't see. Um, that's often been very helpful for us here at, at church. Okay, when it comes to intimacy before marriage, where is the line? Fletch, was this? Shush, cover your ears. Um, la, la, la. Um, good question. Um, what I, I often say, I think it's the wrong question though. Um, where is the line? Uh, the question I think the Bible asks is more when's the time? Uh, the danger of where is the line is if we explicitly go, here's the line, this is what we all do. <laughs> right? We kind of lean over and, oh, you know. Um, and it also, I think, it can have a negative thing to say that particular things are wrong. And the Bible doesn't say that intimacy is wrong. The Bible says intimacy is good. It needs a context, which is covenantal and commitment. And therefore, the Bible says, not now, not yet. Wait, build up some of the, that covenant, that commitment stuff, which is why the Christian view is that we wait until uh, we are married. Um, and once we're married, then it's, it's a different thing. I've, I've seen a lot of people feel like all this stuff is, is constantly wrong, and, it, and it's bad, and you've got to avoid it all. And then when we get across the line of being married, it feels this, well, how am I supposed to flip the switch to all of a sudden this is supposed to be good? And that can cause other issues within marriage. So even with our kids, we try not to use language of wrong. We try to use the language of not yet. Wait. And this is what Song of Solomon says. Uh, if you read the book of Song of Songs, um, the, the woman, the Shilamite woman, talks about not awakening love before it's, it's time. It's the sense of just, wait. So if you're asking where is the line, reframe it, because you will go to that line and trip over it. Unless you bring the line back to, like, you can't even look at each other. Um, good luck. <laughs> um, yeah, so I would probably reframe the question. Think about when is the time. Can I add something? Mm. I don't know. Weird, right? Um, so that's where being in a community of people, a gospel-centered family, comes into play for many of these questions. Like out of your life groups, out of your discipleship, your small discipleship groups, these questions need to be talked about and discussed and, and many, many other you know, aspects of life that we walk through. Having our older people speak into our younger people is super helpful and I don't think we get it as much as we used to. So having these conversations, super valuable. Hmm. 
Uh, another thing I would say is like, again, around the line thing. Um, the Bible actually doesn't put restrictions on intimacy because it's against it. It's actually because it has the highest value on intimacy than any other worldview that exists. And I've explored them all. It is the idea that intimacy is this deep, emotional, spiritual, chemical connection that without the strength of the commitment and the covenant and the and the all in and I'm cherishing you and I'm loving you. That's why you have, for a mother shall leave his father and mother and it says, cleave to his wife. That's covenantal language of we are going to be 100% united and then we'll become one flesh. It's the idea of this covenant thing is so valuable because then it protects. Intimacy can do much damage and it does. All the statistics, you read any social book on this, you'll see all the statistics of the damage that our community is experiencing through this, the soul stuff that it's doing because people don't know how to have a covenant relationship. And if you do and then you, you know, if you're a celebrity and you kind of say you waited to be married, then everyone's just going to slag you and, you know, oh, it's so old school, it's so old school. You're so traditional. Yep. And it's awesome. And it's worth it because it does something for you that is so great. It protects, it strengthens. Um, 1 Corinthians um, 7, I'll just read this. It says, uh, The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members? I won't say that word. Uh, never. Or do you know, not know that he was joined to a particular woman? becomes one body with her. For as it is written, the two shall become one flesh. So this is the Bible saying there's this sense of there's, it's not just physical. Our world just wants to say this is physical. That's why it means nothing, right? Like, no, no, the Bible says this is spiritual. This is soul stuff. So it's not just a physical act. It's way more than a physical act. The Bible wants to lift up intimacy and say, but you've got to protect it. Does anyone here remember that gods must be crazy? Okay, Good. Even some of the young people are like, yeah, wow. Uh, the gods must be crazy. Plane flows over. They throw a Coke bottle out into this little tribe somewhere in the middle of some place. And then they don't know what to do with the bottle. So they start going around banging each other on the head with the bottle. Eventually, tribal leader hates the bottle and says, we've got to get it to the end of the world and throw it off the cliff. That's what we've done with intimacy. We don't know what this thing is. So we're just going to smash each other and hurt each other with this thing. And the Bible says, let's not do that. And then it gives us boundaries and says, hey, if you do it this way, wait, wait, then cherish and enjoy. And it can be beautiful. All right, if a man and woman have characteristics or talents that are suited towards the opposite gender role, like a woman with strong leadership, should they lean into, encourage those characteristics and build those roles around their talents? Or not? Do you want me to have a crack at that? Okay. <laughs> um, I would probably challenge the premise even. Um, that there's a premise in there that strong leadership is a male thing, not a female thing. I would say I don't think that's what the Bible says. I think the Bible uses the language of headship to be a form of leadership. 
but both men and women have strong leadership gifts and abilities and can. We see that all through the Bible. There are plenty of women throughout the Bible that are very, very strong, very, very good leaders. So I would just probably challenge that premise a little bit in the sense of um, opposite gender role, like a woman with strong leadership. I think women can have good, strong leadership gifts. Um, and I don't think that is purely a male husband thing. But headship is a form of leadership that God has instituted within the home. And that, I would say, the Bible doesn't say is based on gift. We are a very, very gift competency culture. So if you're good at something, you do the thing. Um, the Bible would say, no, if you're going to be a, be a husband, whether you feel like you have gifts, whether you feel you're good in this area, God wants to call you the head of that home. And that is a form of leadership. It's not the only leadership, but it is a form of leadership that you have to grow into. Even if you don't feel you've grown up at home, like I grew up in a home with a very, very strong parent. Both my parents, if you know them, are very, very strong. So I have a natural disposition to like be in charge of things. I have a personality which says, cool, we're doing the thing. I'm the boss of the thing then, you know. Um, and so for me, it, it was kind of, uh, it was more of a natural thing to get, move into headship, but then I go into dominance. I go into, well, I'm going to kind of rule. And some guys grow up in homes where they haven't experienced the confidence and stuff from their parents. And so they feel a little bit like, well, I've never led anything. I don't know how to do this thing. And they feel maybe meek and mild. But it's not a personality thing. It's not a gift thing. It's a God-given design thing that we need to grow in. How many people here know Tim Keller? Highly recommend you read his book with, with Kathy Keller, uh, The Meaning of Marriage. But also watch their, their, uh, their YouTube clips on it because Tim will tell you, He's the most reluctant leader that there is. He's a very passive man. So I move towards selfish aggression. He would move towards selfish passivity. Kathy's very, very strong, very, very gifted teacher. And so he had to learn that in his quietness, he still has to find a way to be the head of that home and to lead in some form his wife and his children. And he'll tell you it was really, really hard because of his natural disposition. So I go heavy and then have to go, oh, I need to learn how to lead more godlike rather than being selfish and dominant. Whereas he was like, oh, I'm selfishly passive and I don't want to rock the boat because I want happy life, happy wife, happy life. And he was like, oh, I've actually got to step up a little bit and learn how to do that. And so I don't think it's a gift thing. Same with, we would say, eldership. Um, the elders in our church aren't elders because of gift. They're elders because of character. If you read all the qualifications for elder, it's not about, oh, you're able to do all of these things. It says you're a husband of one wife, people around you see you as hospitable, non-Christians think you're super generous, you're not drunk with wine. Oh yeah, one thing, able to teach. There's one thing that's ability. The rest is character. And so I would say, if you're a husband in the room, you're like, oh, this, I don't know how to do this, that's okay build your character because out of your character is where we lead the best the best leaders are not the gifted ones the best leaders are the ones that are humble and Christ-like so that would be uh, yeah leave my encouragement and then um, should they lean into and encourage those characteristics and build those roles around their talents or not so if you are so my wife very very strong lady um, she's got opinions she doesn't mind voicing them um, and so we've had to kind of work with both of us being strong and how do we kind of 
do this thing together and do this dance. Um, and so I've never wanted her to go, well, you've got strong, you're a strong-willed person, I want to crush that. No, I want to find a way, like, how do I help actually draw that out of you so that it's actually beneficial to our family, beneficial to our church? So I would say if you're a strong wife and you have strong leadership gifts, maybe you're leading well in uh, the career that you're at, don't, husbands, don't try and squash those gifts. However, ladies, wives, find a way to still come under and help your husband feel respected, loved, honoured. Tell him he's doing a great job. He, he may not have the competence or skill of you, but God still calls him to that role. And he's going to have to give an account to God for that role. So there, there are many like, differences in, in sort of sometimes there's, there's wives who are far more capable, business women, doing all sorts of awesome stuff. When you come back into that home relationship, you still need to back him, get behind him and encourage him. And so there I'd say just be careful of some of the things that you say or do. Um, we joked last week, Carly, if Carly was to work full-time, she'd earn more money than me, right? So we always joke about, oh, I should go full-time. We have these jokes. They're jokes. They don't affect me. But that could affect another man. So you have to know your man and know what, what helps and doesn't help. I just, you know, I just laugh it off and kind of go, yeah, I know, babe. I know, you're way smarter than me. The kids come and ask me questions about the Bible and that's about it. I know. <laughs> we always joke about this, don't we? Yeah, but I, I, feel, <laughs> I feel respected and she doesn't try to usurp that she tries to come under and help me to be a better head of that home. So yeah, use your gifts in the way that you can, 100%. Don't squash them, but make sure they don't come over and squash him, if that makes sense. All right. Uh, what encouragement advice can you give to single people who often don't receive the same level of teaching that married couples and parents do in church world? What encouragement can they take from a series like this where much of what they hear may not be directly related to them. Do um, you want to go on that one? You, you are single can as you, well? Can you speak to that first? Sure. Particularly, what, the series? Yeah. Um, first of all, I think we recognize that, and that, that does make doing series on marriage difficult um, because we try intentionally not to exclude. Um, I hope to some degree through this particular series you felt more included if you are single. Um, we've intentionally tried to make it a bit broader of a series so that we don't go too narrow. Um, at the same time, though, there's stuff in the Bible that is helpful for different people at different times. And so you, all of us experience that to some degree. What I would say um, is there's a lot of people that are single that aren't always going to remain single. So if you are a single person who wants to be married, you should really listen in on these series because you can get an advantage that many of us didn't by learning all these things before you get married. Really helpful. <laughs> uh, when you get married at, at like, you know, at 18 and you, you don't know anything and whatever, you, you're kind of like, oh, we've got it all together. And then all of a sudden you hit all your stuff. So I think there's that. Also, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. So there are lots of things that I can contribute to someone in a completely different context to me and vice versa. Because we're, we're all trying to submit to one another and follow the Lord, right? So even if you're an older single, say like Rosie, um, I really Not want Rosie... Old. A more wonderful single like Rosie. 
Um, I want someone like Rosie, who's a part of our church, to lean in on these things because she's going to have the opportunity when somebody is in a marriage and struggling to actually give wisdom. So it's important for her to listen, not just for herself, but for herself, if she so desires, and for others. Um, So I think there's an element of that where I think, single people, you have a lot to tell us. You have a lot to offer us. And just because you're not married and don't have kids, don't feel like you can't speak. You've got a lot to say. We need to hear it. Yeah, great. I just wanted to hear what your answer would be for that because I wrote this question as well. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I didn't think I'd be up here saying anything, so I just, you know, typed away. Um, Yeah, completely agree. I think these kinds of series build us up as a family and enrich us as a family and give us all sorts of perspectives. Having said that, man, I've sat through so many series on marriage and dating and all of that, so I get it. Like, it's hard sometimes. It's hard because you sit in here and you hear a series and you don't feel, like you hear people speaking on marriage and you don't feel like it has to do with you and it can be embarrassing sometimes because you're the one sitting at the front who's not in that couple, you know, you know how beautiful and perfect marriage is? You're not in that world. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so I get it. It's, it's hard and it can be a really long season, but um, we, as we grow together, right, we're all enriched. So this kind of, ser- like I got so much out of it, but I just did want to make a mention about single people in the room. Mm. Can I also say too, this is sort of a side note and I know time's ticking away, but um, if you can journey with single people and be someone that they can come and download their stuff to, because if you're single and you live alone, you don't have anyone to talk to. Mm. So you need people who will do that for you. And I want to say, Colin and Carly and Haley have done that for me. They have enabled me just to go blur regularly. And they kind of, I think, understood that I needed that space to just be able to talk stuff through, because you don't get that time to verbally process everything that's happening in your life. So that's why it's good being part of a group of people that love you, care for you, are walking with you in every season of life. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Let's do two more questions, then we'll finish up. One, zero. Okay, we've been told zero. All right, so I'm going to pray. Hey. Who said no? Oh, Hayley, yes. The the, the boss lady, Hayley. A little bit. Um. We're going to pray. Again, if we didn't get to your question or you have more questions, please feel free, DM uh, the church Facebook or something like that. Uh, we will come back to you and try and answer those um, as, much as, as much as we can. So let's pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Centre Church located in North Lakes. We exist to make, mature and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecenterchurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others, but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC. 